things got really, really, really bad for me in 2008, nine, like they did for 99% of the industry. You know, we're not having 2008 over again, but there's a lot of mortgage brokers and mortgage lenders and bankers and everybody else out there that are probably having a 2008 this year. These are guys that were focused only on refis and they lived really high on the hog for the last couple of years and suddenly- Expanded their expenses and their team and everything. And now you're like, "Uh uh-oh. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Todd Bitter. He's a mortgage broker based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Been in the business for 28 years. He's a 100-plus million producer. He's on the Scotsman's Guide. He's been on there for many years. And last year, he did 72% purchases. That's when purchases were not all the rage, especially for my US mortgage broker friends. A lot of refis being done, but Todd has focused his business on real estate agents and has done a fantastic job of just staying true to that. And right now, obviously, given the current market situation, he's in a good position. He's known as the answer your damn phone guy. And we really do dive into a bunch of strategies that he uses to be more successful with realtors. And so there's five or six things we talk about. We also talk about how he uses the pre-qualification letter and loan update form, which are standard in Arizona. And I encourage you guys to go check them out. I'm shocked that more states or provinces have not adopted something like this. And how he uses that is actually a positive thing and helps him get more business with it. Oh, and we also talk about sharing bad news and why many brokers don't want to share bad news, but how you can do it and specifically ask him how he would word it and phrase it so you can get an idea around scripting. So I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. In the Ask the Expert segment, my conversations with Reuven from Beated.ca, and we talk about building a team. His company's been growing like crazy, and this is not his first company, so he's got some great insights on that. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers and brokers, extremely easy to use. The app is intuitive. It also, as the person's filling out the app, it's figuring out what documents that we need from them and sends them a notification. It's got smart submission notes, so it pulls key data from the application, puts them in the notes, so it makes it easier and faster for your underwriter to underwrite your file. And then finally, it's connected to the Lender Spotlight, which is the premier tool for searching rates and guidelines. And you can go search before you hit the submit button. And then even when you do select a lender, it will pull up saying, hey, just double check, are you aware that of X, Y, and Z with this lenders? Again, saves you time, makes it easier for you to underwrite files. Go check them out at lendescom slash Finmo and book a free demo. All right, and now join me in my conversation with Todd. Hey, Todd, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, so um, I'm Todd Bitter. I'm with JKS Mortgage, which is a very small mortgage broker in Scottsdale, Arizona. Been in the business since the mid 90s. So was around for a while before the uh, housing crisis and been around for a while since. So I've kind of been on both sides of it. Right. And before we dive into the rest of your story, I'd love to ask about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. Can you share a quote that's really had an impact on you? Yeah, actually, the quote that I love right now, it's only a few years, maybe six years old, maybe. And I actually picked this up watching a HBO documentary on a band called the Foo Fighters, which I'm a semi fan of, but not a huge fan of. But I know who they are. You know, that was, yeah, it would have been my hair, man. I'm a little more metal, but I like them. I was just watching this documentary and they were interviewing Muddy Waters, Dave Grohl was, and he was talking about his move to Chicago from the South. And he said, I was looking for a dime 
but I found a quarter, meaning that he was just looking to get by and his career blew up by taking the chance on going to Chicago and playing the blues. And it really hit me because I was thinking, wow, that's like my mortgage industry to me in a nutshell. You know, I mean, I got into the business thinking, well, it looks like a solid career that maybe, you know, maybe I could make a go of it and hopefully I can get by and have a comfortable middle-class life with it. And it's actually been so much more. And, you know, it's made me and my family financially secure. It's been very rewarding. I get to speak in front of a lot of people multiple times a year around the country for stuff I do with AIM and other groups. And so that's kind of like my thing now is like, you know, I was looking for a dime. I found a quarter, you know, and I love that quote, you know, that's a fantastic quote. So when you say you speak at AIM, so what kind of topics do you typically speak on? Uh, usually it's about realtors. Mostly it's realtors. You know, they'll do these things like Fuse in Vegas. They do different things around the country. And I'm usually invited to talk about things like how I develop realtor business or just, you know, I'm usually on top producer panels because I typically close around hundred million a year. And it's just about that. You know, it's usually the main thing. I think this year's Fuse event, they're going to probably have me do something a little different as what I've been kind of sort of told you know, because this year, a lot of guys are really struggling in the industry. And I think they got a taste of kind of like, you know, I did a thing with Renee Rodriguez with Amplify. I don't know if you've ever heard of Renee or seen any of his stuff, but kind of did a thing about how things got really, really, really bad for me in 2008, nine, like they did for 99% of the industry. You know, we're not having 2008 over again, but there's a lot of mortgage brokers and mortgage lenders and bankers and everybody else out there that, are probably having a 2008 this year. These are guys that were focused only on refis and they lived really high on the hog for the last couple of years and suddenly- Expanded their expenses and their team and everything. And now you're like, "Uh uh-oh, like, you know. Yeah, so some of it's motivational stuff. Mostly it's about realtors, mostly about how, you know, best practices, things like that. So let me ask you a question then, since this is gonna be a topic you're gonna be potentially speaking on, what was the biggest sort of lesson or takeaway you got from going through the 2007, 2008 kind of that crisis there? Yeah. So prior to 2008, when everything kind of hit the fan, you know, I was a subprime refi guy, you know, did some purchase business, but when I did do purchase business, it was kind of like, that evil realtor on the other side, you know, stay in your lane. I don't right, want to yeah. talk to Don't you. talk to my clients. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. You. They're my clients. You're just happy to be on board with me. You know, I was very anti-realtor prior to 2008. And, you know, I realized, well, I didn't realize it for a while, but in 2008, the refis were basically gone because I'm in Arizona. Arizona was one of the hardest hit states in the union. The crazy thing is, is prior to 2008, my whole career was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I moved to Arizona eight, nine months before the housing crash. Yeah. And I moved to Arizona knowing two people in the whole state thinking, well, if I can do it here, I can do it anywhere. I get out there. I know nobody. I know nothing in the housing crashes. So I had nothing to do. It's like, okay, either am I getting out of the business and going to doing something else or am I staying in the business? Well, I love the business. So what do I do? The only thing available right now is purchase business because the refis are all purposes. The refis were dead because nobody had equity except for the people that don't need the refi, you know? Right. So it made me refocus my whole outlook. And I'm like, okay, damn realtors, uh, you know, but I went out and I started meeting them and I started asking them and I started realizing, you know what, now that we're all kind of struggling, because even realtors, we were all struggling in 2008, nine, mm-hmm. once we were all in that kind of bucket of struggling, 
it kind of humbled both sides. And I found out that these realtors are in the same position I'm in. They're just trying to do what's right by their client. They're just trying to earn a good living. And it made me kind of lower that shield of, I hate realtors. So, well, they're just the same as me, just on the other side of the fence of what we do. Right. And it just changed my whole outlook. And um, it made me refocus. And it made me say, okay, I don't ever want to be in this position again, where my refi business goes away and I have nothing. So I'm going to refocus now that it's the only thing I really have. I'm going to refocus on realtors and purchase business. And I'm going to stay that way. Even when the refis come back, refis will be the icing on the cake, but the cake is the realtors and the purchase business. And ever since then, that's how I've done my business. You know, and I think you said I was like 20 something percent refi last year. And that was only begrudgingly 20 some percent because you know, if it was up to me, it'd be a hundred percent purchase business all the time. But I, you know, of course, when rates are super low, old clients come back in and you market to them and everything else. So I did do some refis. So what do you like about purchase business other than obviously right now it's very easy to be like, Oh, I love the, but what do you like about purchase versus refi being that you spent kind of two halves of your career, one in each. Yeah. So it's funny because most guys like refis over purchases. And I'm the opposite. And I always try to tell guys when we talk about this, and they'll say, well, why do you like purchases? You know, refis are so much easier. It's like, okay, well, let's look at it this way. Refis are easier in some sense, but even if it's a customer that came back to you, there's only so much loyalty on that refi. So if you take that customer, you lock them in at, you know, well, today we wouldn't do doing it, but let's just say back, you know, last year, yeah. you know, we locked that refi in at 2.9 and you're two weeks into it, you're a week away from closing and rates drop to two and a half or they start getting marketed by better.com or one of these online low cost lenders. You know, they call you up and say, well, you know, I can get this other lenders off me this or my old lender that we've ordered to pay off from is trying to recapture them and they're offering them, you know, a better deal. Right. So sometimes it's hard to retain that customer. You can sell all you want. You can be the best salesman in the world, but if, Half a percent or 1% is going to, that's pretty hard to sell against. Exactly. And especially the retention people, you know, I mean, you're offering, you're locked in. Well, Hey, I'm only a week away from closing you. So why would you switch? Well, my current lender, Mr. Cooper, I'll use them because they own most of the servicing, it seems like, or freedom or one of the big servicers is offering me a lower rate. And they said that they can get this done in a week anyway, because they've already got the file, you know, I mean, they'll flip it really quick. It's hard to sell against that. Right. You know, and I know a lot of guys out there when I talk about this, some guys will say, well, I don't lose my customers to them. You know, yeah, BS, you lose customers sometimes like that. It's just the nature of the business. So versus a purchase where if you have a good working relationship with that realtor and you set the expectations right up front with the realtor, even if it's a realtor you've never worked with before, you communicate right up front, you get in line with that realtor and she's in line with you, you're in line with her, you get the expectation set. I look at that realtor as my assistant. That realtor, Mr. Smith, I can't seem to get him to send me his stupid bank statement. He keeps sending me the wrong thing over and over again. He thinks that a screenshot works. I'll call the realtor, say, hey, you know, can you kind of nudge this guy? This is what I need. Something like I'll have it because she'll call him up and say, you gotta get, you know, so I use the realtor in the relationship and the transaction almost is like my assistant and they will do the same for me or I will do the same for them. Okay. Um, the other thing is, is you have a defined date. You have earnest money at risk. 
right. they can get a trigger lead call. They can get a call from anybody offering a better deal, but we're closing in a week, you know? Yeah. There's no changing at that point. Yeah. So to me, I like purchases because a, I've got another party involved to help when I get a stubborn customer, which isn't very often, but it happens. And I've got a set deadline, which keeps the file moving smoother and it keeps the customer more in line with me. So that's my take on purchases versus refis. Well, and, and I think, you know, you've weathered through this current situation in a good position because now a lot of these guys have to remember how to go after realtors. It's like, oh crap, yeah. I got to pick up the phone again. And I got to, you're like, nothing's changed for me. So no. before we turned on the recorder, we were chatting a little about this and realtors seem to be your strength. So, and you said one of the things you did when you started was you sat down and said, you know, what has been your challenges working with people like me? Can you just share some of the things that you feel like that realtors share with you that you do instinctively now that helps you? Yeah. First and foremost, I don't know how much research you did on me, but I'm known as the answer your damn phone guy. Like it's a tagline, like our association name has t-shirts that they sell that say answer your damn phone. Right. So anytime I'm speaking in public, you know, that's what I end my speaking with is, you know, don't forget guys, but it holds true. Yeah. Every realtor will tell you they get frustrated when their loan officer doesn't answer the phone. I make a point to answer my phone every time. If it's a realtor, I mean, if, you know, I don't, if it's Saturday night at 930 at night and it's some number I don't know, I'm probably not answering my phone. But mm-hmm. if it's a realtor or a customer under contract or a customer about to be under contract, I don't care if it's day, night. I don't care if it's Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. It doesn't matter to me. I'll answer my phone. I look at it this way. Every phone call that you answer has the potential to be thousands and thousands of dollars in your pocket. I mean, why wouldn't you? If you go to run down to the local Taco Bell today and get dinner or lunch. Ask that poor cashier that's working for 12 bucks an hour. If I told you I had to answer your phone every time it rings for the next year, but occasionally when you answer that phone, it's going to be a $5,000 payday for you. I guarantee you everybody out there that you talk to like that would say, hell yeah, I'll answer my phone. When you frame it that way, you seem stupid not to. Exactly. But how many loan officers, and we see this all the time, especially in some of the Facebook loan officer groups and stuff, you know, I see him taking screenshots and posting it. I just saw one the other day, a guy screenshot a bunch of text messages between him and his realtor. And he's literally like being condescending and a jerk to this realtor because she had the audacity to call him or try to call him and then was texting him last Sunday night for a contract she was trying to get in that was due by Monday morning. And a lot of people were laughing about it, saying, oh, good for you. You stuck it to her. I'm like, I'm thinking the opposite. I'm thinking, wow, dude, you're kind of stupid. Like, are you ever going to get business out of this lady again? I mean, mm-hmm. and maybe your thought is I'll never get business out of her because maybe you didn't know her and she came to you via a customer you already had. But you just blew any chance of ever getting business out of her by being condescending because she has the audacity to ask you to pick up your phone on Sunday night. I mean, right. so that's foremost the main thing I push and I live I literally answer the phone if I'm having dinner with and my wife, it bugs her, but she gets it. You know, I mean, she understands. She's like, Hey, you know, that literally might be our house payment this month. You're answering that literally right. might be the next Chanel bag. I want if you're answering, you know I mean? I've always framed it to her that way. You know, you have a pretty comfortable lifestyle, Evie. So I have to answer my phone, you know? So, right. And even if it's, it's a quick a, conversation, just to put their mind at ease or something, it's not like, you know, it could just be like, hey, you know, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are always quick, easy, you know, yeah. Okay, so the other thing you talked about was communication. 
And then nothing you touched on with me was sharing bad news. So I'd like to talk about that. So do you find that a lot of mortgage brokers, loan officers don't want to share bad news, especially to the realtor? Uh, and All the time. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, I've heard it from my realtors now. I mean, just had one probably a month ago, one of my main realtors who actually I'm really tight with. So she bounces stuff off me all the time. She had a loan officer. People brought their own loan officer. She couldn't get them to switch over to me. And they had a problem with the guy's bonus income being able to be counted because in 20 or commissions, I think it was one or the other, but in 2020, he had no bonus or commission or whatever it was they were trying to use because of the pandemic. And he waited until they were literally like four or five days from when they were supposed to close. When he finally told her that he was going to have to turn the file down because they couldn't get his averages to work out for a bonus commission, whatever it was. And she asked me, she goes, when would he have known this? I said, well, something like that. He should have known like very early on. I mean, this is kind of mortgage brokering 101. You know, if you're finding, say you need a two-year average or underwear, you better be able to average it. So she went back to him and he finally admitted to her. He said, well, I've been trying to fix it for a couple of weeks now. And I kept thinking I had it fixed, but then I didn't. And that was a good example of where she was like living with, I mean, she wouldn't live with me. She was living on the phone with me about this guy. She was like, I can't believe he waited till now to tell me. Right. And it's like, again, I get it. Nobody wants bad news. I don't want bad news, you know, but that would be like the appraisal company getting an appraisal back and it's 10,000 low and saying, well, we're going to hold off a week while we talk to the appraiser and not send it to Todd for the deal. And then I find out a week before closing when I could have known two weeks ago, I mean, I'd be mad too, you know? So hey, exactly. You'd be like, Hey, can I find another solution? What are my options? Like, so can yeah. I coach the client? Who knows? There's a lot of things that you can do. So, so okay, so, let me ask you this. So let's say I'm a realtor working with you. You got some bad news that you need to share. What does that conversation look like? So pretend I'm the realtor. Yeah. You can just pick some random scenario that you probably run into all the time. So what would just yeah. I mean probably because sometimes common. people don't know what to say. So how what would you how yeah. do you say it? I mean, probably the most common one is you know, appraisal shortages lately, but they, um, that's pretty easy because I think you can't really hide that. But again, let's just use the whole income issue. Like, oh my gosh, I found out that, you know, underwriting's viewing the tax returns different than I am. You know, it occasionally happens. You know, I'll call the realtor up right away. I'll use Kelly as an example. She's one of my top agents. I'll say, Kelly, you know, we have a little problem. I'm working on it, but looks like we're going to have a debt ratio issue because underwriting is looking at his schedule C we're not coming up with the same numbers and I'm a little bit over on my debt ratio. I'm working on it. I'm currently working with the client. We're going to try to get them to pay off a couple of credit cards, you know, yada, yada, but it is a problem and hopefully we can overcome it and I'll let you know as soon as I can. And that call happens within an hour of me finding this out. And then and what, what is the follow-up sequence? Like, okay, so you just drop this on me. I'm Kelly. How's my hair, by the way? Is Kelly a girl or a guy? <laughs> She's a girl. <laughs> okay, yeah. So how do I look? But yeah. now, what is your communication sequence after while you're working? So are you giving her daily updates? Are you just when you yes. know something? I'm pretty much updating it daily, if not every other day, you know, depending upon, you know, any new updates. But I keep them pretty well updated. And even when there's not any problems, I try to have conversations two to three times a week with the realtor, even when there's no problem and everything's run smoothly. You know, just to put their mind at ease. You know, I'll call Kelly and say, hey, you know, the Jones file, don't really have any new news to give you, but no news is good news, you know, or even a quick call like that. Yeah. Um, just to let them know, A, 
Nobody communicates better than me. Even the realtors I've known for years, I do this too, because I never want them to ever say that they found a single loan officer out there that's more communicative than me and keeps them in the loop more. But also I've found, it doesn't happen often, but it happens. If I'm calling up to give the, hey, no news is good news, nothing, nothing to update, just want to touch you get, base. You get referrals, day. don't you? You wouldn't believe every now and then they'll be like, you know, I got this customer that I tried to send over your way, but they're just insist on using their own person. You know, what do you think? Give me something I can tell them, you know, and I'll be like, well, what are they doing? You know, we'll have a conversation. I'm like, well, give them this bullet point or, you know, or, or sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, I was getting ready to call you because I have this customer that I was going to send you anyway. But sometimes it's a customer that they didn't think could come to me, but because I'm talking to her or him. They might ask me, like, what's going on? Give me something to give them because I really don't want them going through this online lender. I really don't want them going through this credit you know, I've never worked with before. So occasionally those no news is good news calls just opens up a dialogue about a new customer that maybe I can pull from them, you know? Right, right. That's amazing. And then do you do updates on all your, even the files that are not, you know, the bad news files, but say the good news files? What is your rhythm of updates for those? So Arizona is unique. I'm in Arizona. I love the Arizona Board of Realtors and every state's Board of Realtors should do what Arizona does. We have two forms. Yes, that I heard are, about this actually. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. We have the pre-qual form and we have the loan status update form. It's actually in the contracts that these must be used. So if you work for Chase, I'll pick on Chase or one of the biggest out there. You know, Chase probably has some beautiful, slick, cool, presentation pre-approval letter you know it's probably in color it probably is better than anything i could ever do as a small low broker shop in arizona the realtor is going to throw it in the garbage and say mr chase loan officer it has to be on this form that pre-qual form it's a, not a pre-approval it's a pre-qual form it's pretty simplistic it's from the dinosaur ages in a way but it's the only thing they'll accept so I don't care if you put together a huge packet of pre-approval it goes in the garbage and they use that local form a, the great thing about that is I can't tell you how many customers I've picked up on a weekend when the Quicken, the Chase, the B of A, the credit union, when that loan officer is not available and they're trying to get an offer in on a Saturday and one of my realtors would call and say, hey, I need a prequal. They're going through their local bank, but we can't get a hold of the guy to do our local prequal letter. And then I get a chance to talk to the customer. I do a prequal for them. A lot of times I can show them that, hey, I'm no fees. I'm low cost. I'm a broker. I'm better than they are. And next thing you know, I've taken a customer away from a bank or credit union or whoever because they weren't available to do our form. But anyway, going to the updates, the second form that Arizona Board of Realtors require that's actually in the contract is called an LSU. It's a loan status update. They're required during the first 10 days of the transaction, and then they're required weekly. Again, it's a two-page form. We basically check off as things go. Got the title work in, check. We date the date we got it. Got the rate locked. Here's the date the rate lock expires. Here's the date I locked it. It's a checklist. And it's just a way for the realtor to see, hey, everything's moving along fine. So that way, even if you get the worst loan officer in the world that hates to communicate, as long as you're doing the LSUs per the contract, the realtor's in the loop about what's going on. So they, um, they have to give this to the both realtors or just who both, gets this? Both realtors. Get At the 10-day mark, anywhere else throughout the process? Weekly after that. Weekly? Yeah. So wow. it's required. And sometimes they'll write it in as they want it in the first five days and then weekly thereafter. So huh. if you polled 100 loan officers in Arizona, they will 
95% of them will say, oh my God, I hate those things. I hate them. They're time consuming. They're really not that time consuming. I mean, it takes me maybe four or five minutes to fill one out. But, you know, and loan officers are lazy as nature. You know, let's face it. Well, we people, all are. Everybody, bit. people are. I did a search where you're talking. I found both forms like easy peasy. So you're yeah, listening yeah. to this. They're, it, they're not hard to find. Yeah, it, it's maybe four or five minutes filling out. And that's the first one. And then when you do the update weekly, it's literally you go back and check off whatever's changed. And it, I can do the updates in 30 seconds. It takes longer to scan an email than it is to change the form for the updates. Right. It's that easy. But most loan officers, I find, complain about it. And every time I talk to loan officers in Arizona, I said, oh, my gosh, you guys are crazy. This is the greatest tool in the world. A, it's communication with the realtors. B, it makes out-of-state lenders look bad because they don't understand it. And it keeps the business more local. It makes us look better than the out-of-state lenders, which a lot of them are the online lenders that are cutthroat, low everything. And, and we have to have something to compete against them with. I do my LSUs every Friday. So like this morning, I got a contract in this morning, the transaction coordinator, she sends over a blank LSU. Of course, I emailed back and said, no, I've got one. I do them regularly. I do them on Fridays if that's okay. But if you prefer a different day every week, let me know. And almost every time they'll be like, oh no, Fridays are great. And that's what I do. Every Friday night, I just knock out my LSUs for my in-process deals. Right. Oh, dude, that's a genius idea. Okay. So when did they put this into the contract law in oh Arizona? It's been forever, I think. I mean, I don't know when exactly went in, but I don't remember a time I wasn't using them. I started working in Arizona in 2008. I'm curious, what was the rationale? Because if no one else has done this, it seems to me if I'm a seller and I'm looking at this form, I'm like, wow, this is really helpful information. If it's coming in with the contract, this tells me a lot of detail that helps me navigate through if I have more than one buyer option, who I should select. Yeah, I don't know who made the form. I'm guessing that whoever made the form must have, you know, obviously it was somebody sat on the board of realtors, but I'm guessing it was a frustrated realtor that wasn't getting communication, or it was maybe a realtor that had a really good loan officer that maybe had a form similar to that, that was using it. And maybe they said, we should do this on everybody, but somebody at some point at the board of realtors decided this was a good idea. And I think it's ingenious, you know? Yeah, yeah, I cannot believe more people have not implemented even a version of this in their own process. Okay, I met, so- a, I met a loan officer in Colorado a couple of years ago, and he was uh, blown away by it. And I actually gave him a copy of it. And he was going to go to the Colorado Board of Realtors and say, why aren't we adopting this? And nothing ever came of it. But, you know, I don't know. You would think that every board of realtors in this country would want that, you know. Yeah, like it just gives them a bit more confidence in the entire transaction. And I love that loan status update. And I like that it's a form dated initial, like just it's old school, but it definitely works. Okay. So we kind of went into the realtor stuff, but that is one of your strengths. So I think it was definitely a good conversation. Is there anything else that you kind of last question on realtors, anything else that you find that's been effective for you working with realtors? Everything I do is about service. Everything's about setting expectations up front though. When I do meet a realtor and I start marketing to them, I don't call call any realtors, by the way, never have, never will. I meet them through title companies. I meet them on the other side transactions. If you went around all the title companies in Arizona or at least the greater Phoenix area and asked if they knew me, probably 75% of the escrow agents in greater Phoenix know me and will say, I really like working with that guy. I go out of my way to make a point to make everything as smooth as I can on the title side for them and to befriend a lot of these title agents. And I've met a number of realtors through title agents because the title agent 
usually has a relationship with that realtor because that realtor is referring to customers to them. Yeah. And they are usually the first ones to hear when somebody's upset. You know, my biggest, we talked about this before, Redfin. You know, I do a lot of business with Redfin. And I met my first Redfin agent that got me in the door there due to a title agent that was having an issue with a local lender that this Redfin agent had been using for a few years. And she was at her wits end. She goes, I'm just fed up. She goes, it's always a funding issue. Every deal lately is funding late or barely funding on time. Mm -hmm. And Kim at the title agent said, you should talk to Todd, this guy over at JKS. You know, I've been dealing for years. He's super communicative. She gave this girl my card. I get a phone call out of the blue from this lady at Redfin. Had no idea even what Redfin was back then because they weren't even that big in Phoenix at the time. And she said, hey, Kim over at blank title company said I should use you or give you a try. And, and we opened a dialogue and that's how I met Redfin. And it became my biggest source of referrals to date. But I've met other agents that way too. So it's all about just, again, just making sure that I treat everybody with respect. I set those expectations up front. But I tell realtors that are going to send me business in the future, I say, look, don't expect a one-for-one referral. It just doesn't happen. You know, just like I refer a ton of people to a couple local insurance agents, they might refer a couple back to me a year. It's just, there's no way that if a realtor refers me 10 clients a year, there's no way I can refer 10 back. You know, you don't even, don't even pretend that you can. I don't, I don't. And I know that a lot of loan officers out there tout that they're going to give these agencies leads. If it's a good agent that I want to work with and I'm, you know, of course, newbie agents become good agents sometimes, but they're also the ones that are always begging for leads. You know, that's not really the agents I'm going after. I go after the solid agents that have been doing it for a while that they enjoy some referrals, but they're not they don't staking. Need they don't need them. Yeah, exactly. Usually if they need them that bad, they need you to keep their business going. That's usually a problem. Exactly. And again, the loan officers out there, they're touting to these realtors. I'm going to give you 10 pre-approved customers a month. Yeah, right. I've heard from the agents. You know, usually those great pre-approved people that they're giving out are garbage leads. You know, I mean, if I'm a loan officer, and I got 10 solid pre-approved people to give to a realtor every month. To become a realtor. My wife's going to be getting a license tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you're going to become a realtor. You're going to just yeah. do this yourself. Okay, that's really good. All right. So what's the single best change you made to your business in the last 12 months? Really... Trying to do more social media, it's funny because you'll find a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos where I've done interviews with people. At You're on other people's. That's what I noticed about you. You're famous in other people's platforms, <laughs> yeah. not your own. You haven't, you know, that's like, where is Todd? Oh, he's here. You're yeah. all over these other. I'm all over everybody else's stuff with my own, but I am currently changing that. So I'm getting, I finally got a TikTok. I haven't done anything with it yet. I'm working on it. So I shouldn't say it's changed, but it's changing rapidly as we speak. I right. mean, this year, I'm not as busy as I've been the last few years. I mean, one thing that maybe you don't know about me is I have no assistant. I have no processor. Every single deal that I close, I did everything start to finish. I work on my house. Nobody helps me. And I did a hundred million a year for how many files was that? That have been for the hundred million. Uh, last year was the files were down to, I think I did like 270 some files. The year before was 346 files. That's so crazy. Somewhere around 300 files a year. And 
So it's not that I didn't want to do my own stuff. It's just for the last few years when I really became interested in social media and marketing and stuff like that, I just didn't really have the time. I'm calling this well, year. Dude, my if, you have no, if you're doing all those files by yourself, you don't have time to do social media too. Like, no, I don't. Yeah, like, so yeah, so yeah, I'm really going to focus on putting stuff out there for me, not for other people this year. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So I can ask some rapid fire questions. Now you can answer yeah. shorter answers. So what's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? Ooh, probably that. I work from home by myself. Um, you know, well, that, now they're going to know, but that's okay. Now they're so you basically um, work, you, yeah, you work from home basically by yourself. By, with, yeah. Uh, do you have any processors or any, like what happens with the, you, when you do everything on the front end of the file, but then where does it go from you? So pretty much most of the files I do go through UWM. I mean, I wholesale yeah. mortgage. I'm a big fan of United Wholesale, but I do other companies too. Yeah, I know. I put it in underwriting there. When they come back with the conditions, I do all the conditions. Literally, I do all the dock pulling. I do all the balancing with the title companies. I mean, yeah. I do the, my own insurance. You know, I call the, you know, I do it all. I mean, I literally, nobody touches my file other than the underwriters at the uh, lender and then the title company when they're doing their stuff. But yeah, I do it all. You know, my business partner, Jamie, he doesn't do as many files as I do. So he handles like our audits. He handles like right. back in office stuff, you know? So, but so it works you, out focus, well. you focus on originating then. So yep. I'm what, solely originating. What is a movie everybody should watch at least once? If you're in this business, the big short, I mean, cause it's awful close to the truth and it's okay. a reminder. It's a reminder of where we were and where we should never go again. Right. That's so good. What about, what is a software program or digital tool you use that really helps you run your business? I don't know if it's software. I wouldn't call it a software program, but a tool I use is MBS Highway, Barry Habib. Yeah. I couldn't function without it. I mean, I could, but I would not be doing my customers and my realtors a service without it. Right. What do you think will happen with rates in the next 12 months? 12 months from now, I think we'll be lower. I think we're getting near the top. And I think that we'll hang out around where we're close to where we're at now for a little bit. And then the recession, we're going to get a recession or a massive slowdown. And I think by end of the first quarter next year, we're probably in the low force. Right. They're going to have to do something. Okay. So remember the movie Back to the Future, put you in the car, send you back your first day as a mortgage broker, mortgage agent, whatever your designation was at the time. And you could say, hey, you know, here's three pieces of advice, Todd do these three things, what would you tell yourself? Love realtors and quit thinking they're the enemy. Be humble and save your money because the good times are always followed by the bad times. And again, I love realtors. Love realtors, that's awesome. Okay. For the first half of my career, I thought they were the devil. Right, right. Now you're like, this is fantastic. Man, Todd, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you. And I just did a quick search too. There was one, answer your damn phone which was a conversation you had or something you did at AIM. So maybe go we'll check that out too. So yeah. thanks. And where can they find you online if they're looking for you? Well, I'm all over Facebook. You know, I'm there. I don't really, that's mainly where you'll find me. Not a Twitter guy. I'm starting to use TikTok and Instagram, but Facebook, anybody has any questions, they can hit me up through there, DM me. I try to answer every question pretty quickly. After I do things like this, I usually get bombarded with questions and, you know, but I will get back to you. It just might take a couple of days. So yeah, Facebook. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Todd. Good job with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, hopefully you found that conversation to be helpful. I know I had a great conversation with Todd. Seems like a real go-getter. And it's really the basic stuff is what he's talking about. It's all about the basics. It's like pick up your phone, communicate, 
you know, and these things never go out of style. No technology, no tool is going to change those things. And I love the idea of the pre-qualification form and loan update form. And I think those should be forms that would be helpful if we're in more places, more states adopted them. And in Canada, more of our provinces said, yeah, that's a good idea. I think it would help create some transparency in the real estate process. But maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't. All right, in this next conversation, I chat with Ruben from Deeded about building a team and he's been scaling his team up and so have I. And so it's a fun little conversation we have if that's something that you're gonna be looking at doing. Hey Ruben, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey Scott, thanks for having me again. So, hey, today's topic, we're going to talk about building a team to deliver a great experience. And this is something that you've done in your previous company and with Deeded as well. And so excited to chat about this. Give me some of your sort of insights you have from having to build up teams, but focusing on obviously the making sure the client experience is still good. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So I always think about you know, when you're building, you know, when you're first starting a business, I've started as, you know, a couple companies now. And at first it's you, or maybe it's you and a partner co-founder. And then at some point you just realize, you know, there's a lot to do, you're growing and you need to sort of add, you know, the next layer of people to help you out. And one of the things, or one of the experiences that I've had is really, you know, being able to eventually scale yourself. And I think, you know, this will resonate with a lot of the brokers that are listening because at some point, you know, your business gets to a point where it's a little bit bigger than you. You want to expand it. Maybe it's your brand, you know, it's your name on the door, but how do you get the right people and also, you know, empower them to essentially help you scale? How do you double, triple, quadruple your business and essentially have the right people that can deliver on the very success that you've essentially, you know, founded your business on. So that's been something that I've been thinking about a lot lately as we're growing and scaling Adidas, but also very, very top of mind. So um, what's one tip or strategy or something you've done to help scale? Because everybody wants to scale, they want to get bigger. But yeah. so what's something specifically you do that has helped you scale? At, I'm curious. One thing I found, and this is a mistake that I was making early on, is that, you know, of course, when it's your company and you've got your fingers and everything and you've sort of built your brand along with the company, you tend to have this notion that you have to control everything. You have to control every aspect. You have to almost kind of script what your next person is going to say to a customer and you want things done a certain way. And that was a big mistake because what I was doing is essentially I was hiring people to help me scale and to help me build the business, but I wasn't scaling. If anything, I was getting more and more frustrated and had, you know, double the workload by essentially wanting to have that control and not really. How, like and what happens is I think the warning light is how much are you just in meetings all the time? And that's exactly where yeah. I am. It's like, if you're going from meeting to meeting, that means you shouldn't have that many direct reports, I guess is the. Right. Thing. And then the other aspect. So how do we fix that? Or how did I fix that? Is it's realizing empowerment. Like if you hire the right people, if you hire smart people, if you hire ambitious people that want to grow, that see the mission, the vision and the purpose of the company and what you're building, those people are going to run with things and it's about you know you as a leader empowering them let them do what they need to do let them interpret how they want to interpret things and most importantly is give them the latitude to fail right because we all learn from making mistakes and I'm sure I probably make more mistakes than I do making the right decisions but every single mistake is a learning experience And I could tell you, you know, that learning really, really builds up. It feels like you're getting an MBA every six months when you're scaling your business. Yeah, let them fail. I found like in terms of a practice that one of my consultants recently applied to my brokerage because it's been growing so fast is a daily huddle. 
because I felt like we're a virtual company and disconnected. And they're like, just 15 minutes with your leadership team. What are your big rocks for the day? Big things, any roadblocks, and then any notables. And what we found is that sometimes somebody bring up a roadblock. I'm like, oh, I know where that is. Like, and literally, it's something that was going to take a half a day is solved instantly because we just had that connection. And so there's a rhythm that you need to have the bigger your company gets so that it stays on track. And I found that to be helpful. And yes, hiring good people. So what other kind of insights do you have on creating a great experience when you scale? So ultimately, your company and your brand will reflect to the outside world based on how the culture is set up internally. Right. And just to give you an example, maybe let's talk about, you know, for our Canadian friends, like the difference between walking into a Tim Hortons and a Starbucks, right? You expect a certain level of experience from each. And, you know, not to say that people at Tim Hortons are less happy, but they don't necessarily have that culture that you see walking into a Starbucks, right? And, you know, I've actually spent some time in my younger days working for Starbucks and training for them when they came to Canada. And I can tell you, there's something really special there about the culture and the way they they evolve their team and they empower their people. And all of that really where it shows up is really shows up in front of the customer. So what we've done, for example, Adidas is we have a really, really amazing culture. We do empower people. We work hard. We play hard. We stop, you know, every day to have fun, whether if it's, you know, playing trivia or giving, you know, kudos to each other. There's a lot more that we're starting to do as a team outside of just work that are really, you know, intended to build a great culture. And my mantra has always been, you know, we're building the company where we want to come to work every single morning, where we want to wake up in the morning and give it our all. And that sort of carries across to everyone in the organization. Everybody wants to be here. Everyone's happy. Everyone's, you know, telling their friends and family that helps us recruit. And of course, at the end of the day, where it really manifests itself is a really great experience in front of the client because, you know, people that are happy are going to give it their all. And I think we've all had that experience, you know, when you call in somewhere, and, you know, you need help or you have a question whether that person on the other end of the phone or on the other end of the email is fulfilled and, and passionate about what they're doing or whether they're just there collecting a paycheck and going through the motions. I think we can all agree, just huge difference. Yeah, yeah. there's a day. huge difference. My daughter actually just got a job at Starbucks, so she's pretty excited. My, she's almost <laughs> 17. So I'm excited to hear they've got all these little, like they've got a training program. And yeah. so they figured out how to scale culture as well as I used to like the small you know, independent coffee shops, but I have found the service level in them has just gone way down. Like it's literally like they don't give a rip and you go into Starbucks and it's very high level of service. And so you're right. It comes down to culture because somebody cares. I think a lot of these, maybe the owners of the shops are just worn out. I don't know, but you can tell that there's just a genuine lack of, I don't really give a rip. And I like to support the little guy, but the service isn't good. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and, And a lot of it is just years and years in the making and really figuring out, you know, what is it that makes people tick and giving again, you know, your Starbucks employee is in it for, I feel like a lot more than just being in a job itself. I mean, I think there's a lot of fulfillment there. There's a lot of team culture and it's a lot of hard work that goes in behind the scenes to translate that experience that happens, you know, when you walk into a shop and they call you by name and you feel like you're treated like a person, because let's face it, anybody can sell a cup of coffee, just like anybody can sell a mortgage. It is truly that experience that can differentiate you and help you scale your business, right? Any other thoughts on scaling? Yeah, ultimately, it's just, you know, it's a lot of trial and error. There really isn't, you know, one single textbook that We'll tell you the step-by-step, play-by-play on how to grow your business. You got to try, you're going to fail, you're going to make some mistakes. 
And ultimately, the biggest thing is the ability to learn, to learn quickly, to correct your mistakes when you need to correct them, to learn from those mistakes and try not to repeat them again. It's fine if you do, but it's an iterative experiment. It's not easy by any means, but I think you've ultimately got to keep the end goal in mind, which is if you want your clients to have a great experience, if you want to have a business that, you know, grows beyond you as the founder, as say, you know, the principal broker, then that's what you need to do. Yeah, I agree. I like running experiments. I think of things as like the best way to introduce some new idea to your team I have found is to frame it as an experiment and give it a timeline. And if you don't get a good result from it, if it doesn't work, you can always reverse it. You can pivot, you can adjust, but being afraid to make it take experiments is what's going to stagnate your growth and you won't be innovative. As long as, I guess, for us, our obsession is broker success. So we're all about like helping our brokers have success. So I'm willing to experiment with anything that I feel like is going to potentially help them have more success. And some things work and some things don't. And when they don't, we go, okay, learn some stuff. Now retool the experiment and try something else. What I found is when I was had a small company, I could pivot fast. I could just be like going any direction I want. Now, like, I don't want to give my team whiplash. So I have to be more thoughtful about the experiment. I've got to let them go a little bit longer. And I've got to get them buy-in on it so that they're not like, oh my gosh, Scott's got another crazy idea. That's like, okay. And if it is a crazy idea, let's find out quick and kill it. Or if it's a good idea, but we don't always know. Like, because in the idea and the execution, often there's like just things that get adjusted and changed. Like, huh, that's not what I started with. But the end result was pretty fantastic. So anyway, that's been my experience with, especially as my team has gotten significantly larger than it's been as a, when I was a broker. Okay, what are your final thoughts on building a great team? So maybe just to recap, you know, really start with the end in mind. Ultimately, you want to build a great business. You want the outcomes of growth and scale, obviously, with that, you know, more revenues, more customers, more happy customers, but really, you know, focus on getting the right people on the bus, focus on empowering them. Mistakes are fine. You know, let them uh, do what they need to do to make those mistakes and learn, let go as a leader. I know that's one of the hardest things is to, you know, let somebody else run with something that you have founded that's got your name and brand all over it and ultimately make your business something bigger than yourself so ultimately you know give your team a purpose they've got to feel like they're in something bigger than themselves and that gives them you know purpose and drive and again that ability to wake up with passion every single day and give it their very best and see the results and fruits of their labor Right. Okay. That's really good. I like that. So if you guys are listening to this, I know that Ruben Deeded, you guys are still growing and expanding all the time. So you can check them out at deeded.ca. You guys have a virtual closing service. It's amazing. Check them out. And Ruben, thanks again for chatting with me. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, Scott. All right. Thanks again for listening to this episode with Todd and with Reuven. A couple quick things. First, if you're trying to grow your mortgage business, you're like, hey, I want to work with more realtors. I want to build webinars, whatever. I'd encourage you to go check out 10loansamonth.com. That's the number 10 loans a month. We have some amazing coaches there. These are all highly successful mortgage brokers that I think the lowest production is 60 million, which is not low, up to 400 plus million. And each of the coaches coach on a very specific strategy or topic. Go check that out. We only open it a couple times a year. You can get on the wait list and you can get an invite for the next time that we have some spots available. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I will be chatting with you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.